Today's reading is entitled, What Kind of Times Are These? by Adrienne Rich. There's a place between two stands of trees where the grass grows uphill and the old revolutionary road breaks off into shadows near a meeting house abandoned by the persecuted who disappeared into those shadows. I've walked there picking mushrooms at the edge of dread, but don't be fooled. This isn't a Russian poem. This is not somewhere else but here. Our country moving closer to its own truth and dread, its own ways of making people disappear. I won't tell you where the place is, the dark mesh of the woods meeting the unmarked strip of light, ghost-ridden crossroads, leaf-mold paradise. I know already who wants to buy it, sell it, make it disappear. And I won't tell you where it is, so why do I tell you anything? Because you still listen. Because in times like these, to have you listen at all, it's necessary to talk about trees. I begin this morning with a reading from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he writes, in this refulgent summer, it has been a luxury to draw the breath of life. The grass grows, the buds burst, the meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tint of flowers. The air is full of birds and sweet with the breath of the pine, the balm of Gilead and the new hay. Night brings no gloom to the heart with its welcome shade, though the transparent darkness, through the transparent darkness, the stars pour their almost spiritual rays. Humanity under them seems a young child and this huge globe a toy. The cool night bathes the world as with a river and prepares our eyes again for the crimson dawn. The mystery of nature was never displayed more happily. The corn and the wine have been freely dealt to all creatures and the never broken silence with which the old bounty goes forward has not yielded yet one word of explanation. One is constrained to respect the perfection of this world in which our senses converse. How wide, how rich, what invitation from every property it gives to every faculty of humanity. In its fruitful soils, in its navigable seas, in the mountains and metal and stone, in its forests of all woods, in its animals, in its chemical ingredients, in the powers and path of light, heat, attraction, and life, it is well worth the pith and heart of great people to subdue and enjoy it. The planters, the mechanics, the inventors, the astronomers, the builders of cities, and the captains, history delights to honor. These opening words of Ralph Waldo Emerson's Divinity School Address ring throughout my ears every single summer. In this refulgent summer, it begins a luxury to draw the breath of life. Indeed, this summer is shining brightly here in Kentucky. And whether we gather here in this place or uh, as we did earlier or in this virtual place as we are now inhabiting, I don't know about you but I find myself wanting to hold on to the refulgence, the brightness, the warmth of the sun, the bursting forth of flowers, the summer rains, the smell of honeysuckle and lilac, though we keep fighting back the honeysuckle. On our church grounds, we greet both the hard work of generations up to this moment 
tending and weeding and planting, and we greet the whims of nature. A family of deer visit us often, ducks down by the creek, hawks and owls and bats, insects aplenty, fierce carpenter ants will get you in the memorial garden if you're not careful. Wolf spiders with their subterranean trap doors and a dazzling array of moths and butterflies and bees. Emerson never says it's a pleasure to draw the breath of life, but he does say it is a luxury. And indeed it is. And how sweet it is when it can both be a luxury and a pleasure. His Divinity School Address is one of those foundational texts for us time and time again. It's taught that I feel propels any of his other explorations. Sure, he goes on to call out what he felt was a spiritually dead Unitarianism of old school Unitarianism at the time. He injects his transcendentalist ideas of having an original relationship to the universe and God and religion upon those impressionable divinity school graduates. He does those things and so much more. But where he begins is crucial. He begins with summer. He begins with nature. He begins with what is near and familiar to him in a New England July, now over 183 years ago, as of three days ago. The breath of pine, the balm of Gilead, smell of freshly baled hay, the sounds of the birds outside the Harvard Chapel, wild, wildflowers and grass flourishing in the meadows, the stars at night. He begins with place, his place, his location on this earth. And from there, from that experience, we get to hear his heart's desire, his true religion, a religion of the here and now. I've been thinking quite a deal about place these past 16 months, more than any building or garden or history, but place with a capital P. What does it mean to be intricately and intimately connected to the land we inhabit right in this moment? Now, don't get me wrong, the buildings and gardens and histories are crucial to this, but it begins with the expansiveness of life. And then it narrows down to daylilies and farmhouses and gardens. For Emerson, it began with the brightness of the summer and drawing breath. That was his transcendent moment. That was what connected him to everything else around him. For many of the transcendentalists, despite their name, those moments of transcendence were not being detached from one's body or mind, but occurring right here in the heart. Emerson felt the sun on his face, the breeze blowing through Harvard Yard, and the feeling of air filling his lungs. That was transcendence. It was less of an escaping and more of a returning returning to the realization that we are connected to this universe we inhabit. And for us right now, it's right here. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever taken notice of the simple luxuries that tether us to this mortal life, to nature, to any given place? Have you felt like that recently? Or has it been a long time? Or perhaps not at all? It's not really that difficult. It might take some practice, but Emerson shows us the way. On this refulgent day, we draw the breath of life. All you have to do is go ahead and do it. <clears throat> Close your eyes if you want and draw in that breath of life. Go ahead, just do it. Have you ever considered that breath to be a luxury? 
a miracle, a spiritual moment, even if it's just a physical process for you, the elaborate interconnectedness of the systems in your body that make that moment possible are astounding. Take another deep breath. Keep breathing. So yes, I've been thinking a lot about place. This place specifically, this church and its buildings, its grounds, its people. I've been thinking about the stories that inhabit these walls, every plant and flower, every tree, every memorial stone, every mishap and success. Robin Wall Kimmerer, a Potawatomi teacher, activist, and author in her wonderful book, Braiding Sweetgrass, encapsulates this connection between story and place. She writes, The story of our relationship to the earth is written more truthfully on the land than on the page. It lasts there. The land remembers what we said and what we did. Stories are among our most potent tools for restoring the land, as well as our relationship to the land. We need to unearth the old stories that live in a place and begin to create new ones. For we are story makers, not just storytellers. All stories are connected, new ones, woven from the threads of the old. Her book brings an indigenous perspective to the relationship to the land. Remembering that the word indigenous both refers to groups of people and to being of a place. And while most of us are not Shawnee or Cherokee, uh, the original inhabitants of this land, there is still a lesson to be honored and heard about how we can reconnect to the land, to a place and the stories it inhabits and gives birth to. What is the story of this place, this church, this community? And for me, it should come as no surprise, it helps to start broad, broader than Emerson. For me, it begins 13.77 billion years ago. This place was churning in the primordial crucibles of the newly born universe moments after the Big Bang. 4.5 billion years ago, the earth took shape. This place, perhaps, still amidst volcanic chaos on the young earth. And we need to fast forward here. 14,000 years ago, human beings spread throughout this continent. Mastodons and mammoths roamed the land. No dinosaur bones have ever been found in Kentucky, but plenty of shark teeth have, letting us know that 60.3 million years ago, Kentucky was under a shallow sea. Fast forward again through the first 1,000 years of the Common Era, the Shawnee and Cherokee tribes flourished in this region. 673 years later, in 1673, the first Europeans arrived. What unfolded over the next few hundred years was a story of colonization, displacement, and civil war. The 1790s saw a man named Richard Allen build the farmhouse on our property. Slaves lived and worked on this land. A slave girl named Viney lived in the house at one point. Fast forward again, it's the late 1950s. A group of religious liberals buy the land on the outskirts of town. Now Lexington, Kentucky, the Athens of the South, they once called it. A church looking like a spaceship is built on a hillside. Members mortgaged their homes to make it so. Trees were planted, memorial stones were put in the ground, new life and possibilities. Fast forward again to today. And here we are, here you are, right now. To say this church, this place, these buildings, this land, you and me don't have stories, grand impossible stories, and humble ordinary stories all at once. To say that isn't so misses the very heartbeat 
of Emerson's opening lines and what Robin Wall Kimmerer tells us. We find ourselves awaking to the one life we are assured of and we represent multitudes of time and history, of story and possibility. It's almost enough to make you cry at such enormous responsibility. And it's beautiful, it's transcendent, it's refulgent. Yet we cannot live our lives solely in that realm. Imagine what it would be like to answer every question or problem uh, uh, that people ask you with the story beginning 13.77 billion years ago. Brian, what are we going to do with the chairs after the 930 service? Well, let me tell you, 13.77 billion years ago, we began with the Big Bang. We can't live our lives like that. We have to live right now in this moment. For Robin Wall Kimmerer, it becomes the dual task of storytelling and story making. In storytelling, we steward what was handed down in the land, the gardens, the buildings, the histories and beloveds who've inhabited this place in the grand history of the universe. In story making, we get our hands dirty. We participate in those primordial crucibles billions of years ago, in the emergence of life, in the tragedies of this land, in the possibilities people saw and continue to see. My former minister and mentor, the late Reverend Ed Searle, wrote a book once about home altars. It was an interesting book for him to write. Most people never expected a man like Ed to write such a thing. He was a deeply humanist and naturalistic person, but he was also a mystic. He knew what it was like to draw the breath of life. He listened to elders and sages of people whose connection to the land and place was intimate, like Robin Wall Kimmerer illustrates for us. And while his book was about home altars, it was about so much more than that. It was about bringing the sacred to each place we inhabit. For a place such as this, what we bring to the altar, to the seven acres, to the land, to the flowers, to the gardens, to the memorial stones, to the buildings, to each gathering and moment, that is the altar. What we bring to this place is our stories, our lives, our breath of life. They join a chorus as ancient as the universe, and they push us to each new refulgent day. I don't quite know what awaits us in the days ahead with the uncertainty of COVID variants, with the real effects of climate change impacting so many places across the world, with the continued politics of division, with all of the divides and injustice we find. I fear for those who are most vulnerable right now. I also fear for those who do not heed reason and science. Any more loss of life to this virus is heartbreaking. It always has been heartbreaking. But what I do know is that this time, both before us and up to this moment, is a time where we are called to renew our relationship with this place this seven acres, the stories we tell, the good and the bad, and the stories we come prepared to contribute. It might sound wistful or perhaps even maudlin to some, but reconnecting to life, to story, to place, it is, as Robin Wall Kimmerer would say, that is good medicine. It's a spiritual practice that reminds us, though the way ahead might be uncertain, and maybe it's always been uncertain, there is a story and place that holds us. But even more than that, it's a story and place that welcomes us home over and over and over and over again. The welcome never ends. 
And so the questions for us are both, what does this place mean to you? And what is the story you bring? Blessed be. Amen.